Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, John Steppe. I am joined by my Gazette colleague and women's basketball reporter, Jeff Linder. Jeff, thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, it's an interesting week for Iowa women's basketball coming off the Hawk game yesterday, Iowa State 77, Iowa 70. You were there in Ames. What were your takeaways from that game? Well, um, uh, first of all, you've got to be kind of clear. I'm an Iowa fan. You've got to be kind of happy for the Jones girls that came from, from Iowa City High. Uh, they weren't recruited by Iowa. Uh, they both had double-doubles last night for Iowa State. And, uh, you know, that was uh, certainly a certainly a big factor in the win. Uh, Ashley had uh, uh, 26 points left. Uh, 12-11 for Aubrey Jones, who's really, really turned into a uh, you know, valuable part of, their, of uh, Iowa State's attack. And then it seems also like Iowa has hit a little bit of a rough patch here with yeah. two losses in the last three games after the COVID pause. They, they haven't been the same since they, they came back from COVID. Um, uh, they, they were really clicking along. But on the other hand, the, uh, the strength of schedule has improved a lot. Uh, you know, go to Duke, that's tough. Go to Hilton, that's tough. Um, you know, Michigan State was a nice win. They played really well in the third quarter and in the second half of that one against Michigan State. So, but uh, there's there's definitely some work to be done. And uh, it's uh, it's on several levels right now. So where do you see is kind of, okay, next three steps for Iowa to get from where they've been with this kind of skid to back to their final four aspirations? Well, you know, right right now, I, I don't think that they should be talking about Final Four. Uh, I think right now the question is, are they a Sweet 16 team? And I think right now that's that's kind of where they are. Uh, they've got a long ways to go before they can they can start talking about Final Four. Um, uh, they, they've got to bring down the the turnovers. Uh, they've got to rediscover their bench. Uh, the bench was contributing so much for them uh, in the first four or five games, and now it's kind of been uh, non-existent. Uh, four points uh, from Addison O'Grady uh, last night. Uh, they didn't do much at Duke. Uh, they performed a little better against Michigan State, but I think a little bit of that was because the game was out of hand and, and there were some more minutes to be had. So uh, they've got, that's, that's one key thing. Uh, turnovers are another one. Rebounding needs to be more consistent. Um, and they've got to shoot a little better. Uh, Clark, even uh, her, her shooting numbers haven't been great. I think for last night, she should sell like 24 percent for 20 games this season. Um, that's that's got to get better. And, uh, um, so there's you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, that need to be fixed. Hard to win games when you have four bench points in yeah. one game, yeah, and, and that, that was. Something the first two or three games that I thought was a, a real strength of this team was their depth. They, they could go eight, nine, ten deep and, and not lose anything. But I don't know if there's uh, a little bit more of a, a lack of confidence from the staff or, or they're just not performing or what. But the, the production isn't there. And a lot of that, the reason for that is because the minutes haven't been there. And then I guess maybe the bright spot for Caitlin Clark. Did I see right that she hit a three from basically the Iowa State logo. 
Yeah, probably. She does that. She does that a couple, <laughs> three times every game. And after, you know, you, you see it, it's kind of, yeah, that's, that's Caitlin. But yeah, you, you never, you never really, uh, the shock value of that never really goes away because she's so, she's got so much range. But you know, on the other hand, three assists, six turnovers last night for her. So, and she was 10 for 26 from the field. And uh, it certainly wasn't a perfect game. You know, she, she had some flashes and she does a lot of showy things, but uh you know, I think she'd be the first to say that uh, she didn't play a perfect game last night either. What have you seen from her in this sophomore season where now these teams have had a year to look at the tape on her and scout a little better? Well, I think she's, I think she's kind of letting the game come to her a little bit more. Uh, her rebounding has gotten better. She had seven boards again last night. Um, you know, it's basically the same Caitlin we saw last year. Um, you know, she's, She's got a little bit of Brett Favre in her. She's kind of got some gunslinger to her. And uh, You're I making was, the Packers fan here very happy with that comparison. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> a lot of high-risk, high-reward stuff she does on the court. She doesn't, you know, she's certainly uh, a very uh, dynamic player and uh, certainly deserving of All-American honors. But uh, she still needs to rein some stuff in. She needs to rein in her emotions a little bit. But she's uh, she's fantastic, and, and I was lucky to have her. And then the one bright spot here in this stretch since the COVID pause seemed to be the Lisa Bluter milestone there with win number 800 against Michigan State. Yeah, and uh, I think I imagine she's probably glad that that's behind um you know it's I don't know if, if you'd say it was distraction but you know it's something we've been writing about for, for four weeks and uh, now it's behind and, and when we can get down to basketball and uh, see what this team can do and because you know aside from what I've said uh this is still a team with a, a very high ceiling but uh um you know I, 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 I think I that uh, it's good to have that in the rearview mirror and we won't have to worry about another another number that ends at zero, 0 for probably another four years. <laughs> and then we'll be talking about 900 soon enough. I think, uh, I, think, I think she'll get there. Wow. Not too many coaches. Well, so few have hit the 800 threshold, yeah. let alone 900. Right. And it's, uh, it's a dwindling. Is is a thousand possible? Um, you know, eight years of 25, 25 wins to get her to a thousand. That gets her 69, 70 years old. Uh, I don't see her stepping down anytime soon. You know, she's got two and three quarters more years Taylor Clark, so that's that's a lot of wins coming. So um, you know, I, I don't know where she'll go. I, I would, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd say she probably finishes somewhere between nine and nine fifty, but who knows? Well, I saw you put the Twitter poll out there too, and it seems like the fan base is kind of some more optimistic than others about that win total. Yeah, but that's what fan bases are for. <laughs> that's a good point. What's the <laughs> what's the point of a fan base without having yeah. a bag there? Speaking of fan bases, my, my question is, and I'm not going to bring this up on Twitter, why is it that Iowa State women can – get a student section of about a thousand kids and Iowa's women's basketball student section is basically non-existent and has been forever because, because that atmosphere last night was at Hilton was terrific. 
I don't know if it's something about Hilton and their basketball, because maybe it's a little more of their basketball place because football until Matt Campbell wasn't spectacular. So maybe that's some of it. Um, I think maybe it's a little bit of the kind of overall, they're maybe a little more excited about women's basketball because of what it used to be and what it is now. But but that's a good question. They're they're kind of parallel programs because Iowa's always been good. And, you know, they've been a consistent 20 game winner for for Bluter and and that and maybe more under Vivian Stringer way back when. But even then, the student uh, uh, support just hasn't been there for women's basketball. And I, I, I really don't know why. Yeah, that's a good question because you have everything on paper here for to have a fill the student section raucous environment. You have one of the best players yeah. in college basketball with Caitlin Clark. You know, there are, she's really the only other person in the conversation with Paige Beckers. Yeah, so, yeah. And it, it's it's an engaging team, and it, it really has been for years. Uh, uh, a group that I would think that a student body could get behind. And uh, for whatever reason, it, it just hasn't happened there. Yeah, it's kind of a bizarre thing there. And, you know, men's basketball seems to have a lot of empty seats, too, with the Illinois games. So it seems like basketball in general has just not had the great student environments that, say, yeah. football has had. Yeah, and, you know, maybe is, is it Carver? Is it uh, just kind of, you know, that's a place that's – 40 years old now and uh you know does that not lend itself to to that because i know it's kind of that way with the men too but on the other on the other hand hilton's a 50 year old um calcium so you know there goes that excuse i guess yeah and like purdue has certainly an older facility too and you know when i was there on friday that place was rocking so it's an Interesting thing. I think some places age a little better than other places, and that can be some of it too. Yeah, you know, to, to get to the floor at Carver, that's that's a long haul. That's a lot of steps, and uh, you know, there, there's only one in one way down to the floor at Carver, and, and you know, unless you take the elevator, and they're not going to let the students take the elevators. But uh, that's a lot of steps. Yeah, I don't think anyone else would have access to the elevators if they started doing that one. So um, it's always a competitive conference with the Big Ten women's basketball. Um, Do you see Iowa still being one of those top teams in the conference? Yeah, I think so. I think it's I still look at it the way I look at at it at the beginning of the season and even at the end of last season. It's a four team race, Uh, Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, the, the spoiler teams, Ohio State is kind of a borderline top 25 team. Michigan State, although Iowa throttled them pretty good the other night, is uh, kind of in that boat as well. And Nebraska's 8 0. They haven't played anybody, but, you know, they're 8 0, maybe 9 0 now. And they're uh, uh, kind of an intriguing team right there. And there, there just aren't too many bad teams in the Big Ten. Illinois uh, qualifies uh, as far as they have Wisconsin has has been down for quite a while, but uh, uh, you know it's. I would say that's it's a 11-12 team league in which they're going to have to show up, especially on the road. Uh, you know, win it, 
a win at Penn State or Purdue or, or Rutgers isn't going to be easy for Iowa. So, yeah. um, you know, they've got to, they've got to check home court. They've got to go eight and one at worst at all. Well, the thing too, is some of those big 10 teams, it seemed like they were down and then like a Penn State, for example, you know, a couple of years ago, you'd kind of write that one off as an easy win, but you know, they've been a lot more competitive in games lately. Yeah, it's a program that, that used to be very, very good. And, uh, uh, Portland, you know, a decade or two ago. And, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of climb their way back up the ladder here a little bit. So, um, but like I said, there, there just aren't many, uh, W's that you can circle right away. Yeah. Now, what do you see is kind of the, is, was Iowa State, you think, still COVID kind of rebounding? Or do you think it's going to take longer for them to kind of get out of that? Or is it just the other issues with, as you're mentioning, the turnovers, the lack of um, contributions? Well, they didn't practice for for about 10 to 12 days uh, as a team. And that, you know, that, that takes a toll. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three games that they didn't play, uh, there's a lot of reps there. And, uh, you know, that, that makes a difference. Uh, I, I could have written that off as it's the problem against Duke. I, I think that that played a big factor, but they looked really good against Michigan state. So I, I don't think you can use COVID as an excuse as far as what happened yesterday. I, I think yesterday Iowa state was just better. Wow. And you historically would not have said that about Iowa state many years. Well, I, you know, like I said, they're, they're, they're comparable programs. And uh, Iowa doesn't win at Hilton very often. They, they won at Hilton the last two times. But before that, it had been 25 years before Iowa had won at Hilton. So, um, you know, it, it traditionally has been a, uh, a rivalry in which home team rules. Uh, that changed a little bit the last couple times at Hilton. But uh, I think this was kind of more, uh, more traditional the way, the way things go. And then on a scale of one to 10, how concerned do you think fans should be with this recent kind of skid? Uh, 10 being uh, hairs on fire. (laughs) Yes. Running around screaming in circles. They're going to be fine. Uh, This is still a team um, that ought to win 20 games, uh, even without the three games lost to to COVID. Um, I, I had them at at 24 and five uh, at the beginning of the season. So now you take those three away, 21 and five. Uh, I didn't think they would lose to both Duke and Iowa State. So I still think they're a 20 and six, 19 and seven kind of team, maybe 21 and five. Do you think good enough to host first two rounds of NCAA tournament? If they get to that point, yeah. If they're, if they're a team that goes 14 and or in the Big Ten, yeah, uh, they'll be, you know, probably no worse than a three seed. Yeah, wouldn't be too bad. I think most fans would take that. Yeah, yeah, because if, if, if they get to that point, they'll have some some good wins. Uh, they, they play, I think they play all four, all the other three contenders at home. So, and I think they play, I don't think they go to Maryland. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think they, they play the other two on the road. I think they play two out of three. So, um, you know, the, the key is to, to hold serve at home. 
uh, beat all the teams that you should beat on the road, maybe just stumble once or twice and, you know, let the other ones kind of fall where they may. Well, Jeff, thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Switching gears on the Hawk Off the Press podcast to some reader questions, mostly about football, but a little bit of basketball sprinkled in there too. So Eric asks about the Kentucky offense, and this is going to be really an interesting matchup between the Kentucky offense and the Iowa defense. Kentucky's a team that has really run the ball at a high volume and at a high efficiency, where when you look percentage-wise at how many of their plays are run plays, you think, okay, well, then that has to hurt their efficiency, right? No, they average 5.5 yards per carry, which, okay, yards per carry has its flaws, but when it's 5.5 at the volume that Kentucky runs the ball, it's pretty impressive. So that attack is led by Chris Rodriguez. He's certainly not the only person who can run the ball for the Wildcats though. In the air, they're pretty effective too. Not used at a high volume, but they get the job done. Quarterback Will Levis is very much a respectable quarterback. Um, He's got a great target to throw to with Wandale Robinson at wide receiver. So This is an offense that averages more than 400 yards per game and yards per game is a flawed stat. You know, a lot of that depends on time of possession, a lot of other things who you're going up against. Um, But still, even if you look at yards per play, 6.4 yards per play, will get the job done against most teams. And you look at it, there's a reason why Kentucky is nine and three, despite playing an SEC schedule. So it's a, it's a really effective offense there, and it'll be interesting. Iowa's rush defense has been, for the most part, very good, so that'll be an interesting matchup. I think it kind of goes without saying what Iowa's secondary has done this year uh, with the Doughboys. So, yeah, that's, I think, probably going to be the most interesting matchup in the Citrus Bowl more Citrus Bowl analysis and breakdowns to come as we get closer to the game. Then Reese asks what the spread is, and it's a two and a half point favorite for Kentucky right now. Now, big asterisk on any bowl odds right now because so much is still, I shouldn't say so much, but a good chunk of things are still undecided here. Don't know which players will opt out uh, for pro career route. Oftentimes there can be a few surprises in there. So that changes things. Um, we know that Tyler Linderbaum is going to be playing as much as he wants, or as long as he can physically play, he'll be playing in the Citrus Bowl. He was asked if he's going to opt out, or assuming he's not going to opt out, considering he was talking to us reporters after the announcement and he called it a dumb question. So it's pretty clear that he wants to play. Dane Belton is another player who indicated that he's not thinking about the NFL stuff till later. Plenty of time on that. It'll actually be a cool homecoming though for Dane Belton. He is from Tampa. This bowl game is in Orlando. 
Florida is a big state, but those two places are pretty close together. He said about an hour and a half drive. So I'm sure there'll be a Dane Belton section at Camping World Stadium. So again, though, we'll see who on either side may opt out and not play the bowl game to avoid an injury that could affect their pro careers. Reese also asked how Iowa will do tonight in the Cyhawk game. I'm predicting an Iowa win, but I think it's going to be close. The matchup that I'm going to be really interested in is Iowa has done a very good job of taking care of the basketball. Iowa State has done a very good job of forcing turnovers. That I think will be really interesting, Um, but we will have plenty of great coverage on that. Um, so follow my class's coverage for that, um, for more information on that. Then Matt asks about the ticket interest in the Citrus Bowl after a Big Ten championship game where people may have spent a lot of money. And we don't know too much about ticket numbers yet. It's still pretty early. It's still kind of in that priority groups are having tickets right now. So we'll see on what exactly those numbers are. There are some indicators, though, that we can see that indicate a lot of positive interest. And one of them, as my colleague Vanessa Miller on the news side reported, a Cedar Rapids-based travel agency sold out its 240-seat charter flight down to Orlando in 24 hours. So there are some people who are eager to get down to the game. Now, it's hard to make too much in terms of adjustments on that, but, you know, most people probably are just going to Travelocity or Expedia to book their travel. So we'll see sooner or later what exactly the ticket interest will be like. One thing that helps Iowa's case is they haven't played in the Citrus Bowl a long time. Last time was the Capital One Bowl. I believe that was 2005 against LSU. So it's been a while and it's a new destination. People like to spend cold weather season in warm places like Orlando. There's a lot of stuff to do, even if you aren't a Disney fan. So that obviously helps Iowa's chances there. And somebody can watch maybe if they're a split couple or something between Iowa and Iowa State. You can satisfy both people in a couple by going to the Cheez-It Bowl three days earlier in the very same stadium as Iowa State plays Clemson and then stick around for the Iowa-Kentucky game. So that's, though, still a lot of speculation at this point is to ticket interest. One thing, too, where I think a lot of questions are looming is after the commitment of Xavier Nwankpa um to the Hawkeyes that happened yesterday for people who don't know five-star recruit out of five stars obviously from Southeast Polk top safety in the whole 2022 recruiting class 2022 so he will be eligible to play the next time after the bowl game that Iowa plays and he's gonna be enrolling early uh that's the route that Connor Colby took Worked out for him, considering he was playing high school football last fall for Cedar Rapids Kennedy and now is playing Big Ten football starting. It's the route that Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce took at wide receiver. 
I'd say that worked out for both of them too. Both of them getting a lot of opportunities. And this is a big deal for Iowa. Granted, there's the whole kind of cliche that you don't hang up recruiting banners. Um, there's no banner saying, wow, we had five five-star recruits in this recruiting class. Well, Iowa hasn't had five five-star recruits in their recruiting class. But even if they did, you don't see those banners go up. In the long run, recruiting is not an exact science. As Tom Kaker and I were talking about in the last Hawk Off the Press podcast, so you still have to play the games, but certainly a player that brings a lot of excitement to a position area that already has a lot of excitement with that secondary with the Doughboys. So Xavier has a belief that he can compete right away for starting time. So it might not be long before we see how much does that five stars translate into five interceptions plus early on in the season. So it's a big deal, though, for Iowa. It sends a statement that Iowa can still recruit um, and beat out the kind of juggernauts, the blue bloods, whatever your favorite term is for them, the Ohio States, the Notre Dames that they beat just yesterday. So it will be an interesting storyline to follow in the coming years. But that will do it uh, for this episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I will be back with another episode next week. So you're still stuck with me a little bit before Christmas. Until then, I will talk Hawks later. Mm -hmm.